How y'all doing this morning? Really? How y'all doing this morning? Oh, amen, 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 amen. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, for all you fathers, happy Father's Day to you. Um, I am a proud father of two amazing children. My oldest is my daughter, Destiny. Uh, my son is Faith of Fourth, and he has a son. We just had his first birthday party yesterday. We called him Super Cinco because he's Faith of Fifth. <laughs> yeah, amen. So, uh, so I'm excited about that. Um, I was excited when Tim asked me to come out and, and speak to you on today. Um, and my wife said, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, we're going to the church. It's, it's predominantly a white church. <laughs> and she said, are you going to be suited and booted? I said, absolutely. <laughs> I am who I am. This is what I do. <laughs> so uh, uh, if, if you have a problem with my suit today, um, I think it's looked pretty good. But <laughs> if, if you got a problem with it today, uh, don't worry. Tim won't be wearing the suit next week. <laughs> so it'll be all cool next week. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, though. Uh, 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 but I'm kind of uh, uh, used to being extremely mobile. Um, and they have told me, uh, stay here and here. And so that's what I plan to do. And they said, uh, you usually get out around 1130. I think it's late, 1145. Cool. Uh, I'm good with that. It's, it's 1046 a.m. right now. And I promise you on everything I believe is true. By 1130 p.m. we'll all be gone. <laughs> Watch. <laughs> Today, I, and I don't plan to keep you very long. Um, I know many of you have plans um, for this afternoon to celebrate with your dads and, and, and have a good time. And, and if it's usually like it is, celebrating with dad means making dad cook. <laughs> so, and so we'll allow you to go and, and celebrate with dad. I'm going to be reading a scripture today, uh, Exodus 3, uh, 1 through 6. I'm going to be talking about knowing God a little bit and how to worship God um, a little bit. And uh, I hope it's cool with you. Um, I've been preaching. I am 57 years old. I know. I look 27. I know. But really, I am 57. But I've been preaching since I was 15 years old. <coughs> so, uh, um, I don't get my feelings about whether or not people enjoy or like my sermons. Uh, I hope you do. But if you don't, because I've learned sometimes it's not in the enjoyment, but it's in what God is going to do um, with what you hear. And what I'm hoping today is not necessarily that you will enjoy this message, but that you will have an experience with God on this morning. Uh, uh, and uh, if I get a little loud, uh, just say, well, he's be gone next week. 
<laughs> Exodus 3, verses 1 through 6. The Bible reads, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. If you don't mind helping me preach a little bit, look at somebody close to you and tell them every now and then, oh, I'll wait on you. Every now and then, God will interrupt your schedule. Oh, say amen if you can. <laughs> every now and then, God will interrupt your schedule. Sometimes uh, there's a hiccup in your life, a challenge and a change, something that says think and consider before you take the next step. You're going along, doing your thing, and just suddenly there's a big gap between where you are and where you're trying to get. And you have to stop and consider, what do I do now? So Moses gets up from his bed one morning, kisses Zipporah, showers, brushes his teeth, picks up his iPhone, makes sure the charge is 100%, and goes out to shepherd the sheep like any other day. You know how it is. You get up and you're thinking, well, here we go. It's a day like any other day. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful San Diego, wonderful, and I'm just going to do my thing. Well, after being chased out of Egypt and away from his Hebrew people, Moses, out there with his Midianite father-in-law, out in the wilderness, he stumbles upon what's called in the text the mountain of God, known as Mount Horeb, also Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.11. In the ancient world, mountain tops were the traditional dwelling places of the divine. There at the mountain... Moses encounters an unquenchable burning bush. Of course, fire is a common uh, uh, symbol in scripture for, for the presence of God. Genesis 15, 17, Exodus 14, 24, uh, etc. And he's out there just doing his thing. 
This wasn't strange for him to be by even Horeb, the mountain of God. He, he had been this way several times. He, he'd probably seen that bush a million times. He'd been walking by, and, and here he go, come on, sheep. We're about to do our thing. Come on, let's, let's do our thing, sheep. And come on, sheep, let's do our thing. And he had been doing it forever. But today, today was a different day. Today, God interrupts his routine. See, God is bothersome like that. God doesn't call us and say, you know what, let me see if I can get on your day planner. Let me see if you put me into iCal. No, no, God just comes along. And when it's God time, God's time trumps all other time. Moses was a man of God who had run away from and settled into. Life is good. Beautiful wife. Great job, kill to do, no jail time. Life is awesome. Many of us think our interruptions get in the way of real life. That's why we don't like interruptions. They remind us we're not in control. Traffic is heavier than usual and you miss an appointment. Unforeseen circumstances cause you to miss a deadline. You, you were out party. I mean, no, we don't party. Uh, you were out socializing, and you overslept the next day, and now you can't. Your child comes home from the flu at the very time you're supposed to be going on vacation, and life has been interrupted. C.S. Lewis recommended that Christians stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. He writes, the truth, of course, um, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. What one calls one's real life is a phantom of one's own imagination. We think what is real is what we have scheduled out and claimed in our own sovereign divinity ourselves, that this is what my real life is. But when real life is whatever God says life is, when God intervenes, that's when real life happens. Interruptions are not obstacles to our plan. They are opportunities for us to embrace God's plan. Henry Blackaby writes, he has a right to interrupt your light, life. He is the Lord. When you accepted him as Lord, you gave him the right to help himself to your life anytime he wants. Woo! I mean, isn't that something? When, when we come to Jesus and we say, <laughs> we sing the amazing songs, you know, Lord, I surrender to you. God, my life is yours. I'm under a flood of your goodness. We don't mean any of it. We mean, God, when I tell you to come, you can come by. Make sure you call first or at least text. Uh, come on, y'all know it's the truth. We don't want God to interrupt the life we have created as if we are creators and not just walkers within his creation. No, no, no. What we want is we want God to come into the life that we have made up and decided that this is what's real. And God says, no, what's real is what I say is real. I am sovereign. So verses 1 through 4 tells us God first interrupts routines. God comes along when things are going along their regular routine. God appears to Moses in a burning bush. 
this angel of the Lord, which is his messenger. Perhaps it's a reference even maybe right now. I might be your burning bush. You know, you, some of y'all didn't even get the memo. <laughs> you came, thought you were going to see Tim. <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. And here you are in your own thing, thinking, oh, it's going to be good. And, oh, Jesus Christ, there's a black dude up there in a suit. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what God does. God interrupts what you think is, I might be your burning bush today. And what God wants you to do is look up here and see. God interrupts Moses' ordinary situation. God is an attention getter. That's the burning bush. And I don't know what your burning bush is, but God knows how to get our attention. God knows how to send life stuff, bushes that are burning that we thought were the same. You wake up one day and, and your beautiful bride who, whom you love and adore says, I don't want you no more. That might be your burning bush. Because you just been going around doing your thing. You thought all was all good because you passed by that bush every morning on your way to work. One day you wake up and it's burning and it won't go out. You say, what am I going to do now? Well, I guarantee you, if you listen to God, you'll know what to do. Because God steps in at the moment when the bush is burning. See, Moses had to, at this time, Look at this bush. The fiery bush is an icon of the divine. Y'all still with me? Because I got to check. I say at home, they'll be like, preach now. Come on now. See, y'all, y'all making me feel, y'all putting me in my feelings a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, you know, y'all say, well, I got issues. Well, if I got issues, you are your brother's keeper. Come on, help me with my issues. Amen. And let me know. Are you here today? Okay, yeah, y'all here. All right, all right, all right. This fiery bush is an icon of the divine. It's a sacramental window into God's presence that both reveals and hides. In part, the ever-burning shrub in the wilderness signals God's merciful accommodation. God comes down from the mountain of God to meet Moses in the bush. But at the same time, this inextinguishable, inextinguishable flame is a sign of God's awesome and powerful holiness. A fiery holiness that is both dangerous and attractive. Frightening and comforting, untamed but reassuring, scary, <laughs> but seducing. And Moses, because of this, had to turn aside. He couldn't keep his present course and still see what God was doing. He had to turn aside. And it caused Moses to wonder, because even though the bush was on fire. It was not being burned. Something is going, it's some God stuff going on here. Fire has been known to be analogous to the presence of God. And so I know Moses uh, in, in thinking, well, is this a God thing going on? But often a fire has destruction. So Moses must be thinking, oh, am I in trouble? But here we see a bush which is in the presence of God but not being burned. Verse 4 says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside. And when I looked at the text, I said, that's amazing. Moses had been passing by all the time. Moses had been doing his thing all the time. He had always been a person who was doing his work. But it never said God noticed him. 
Moses had been all in, in, in the bulrushes in, a, in an ark and, and picked up uh, by Pharaoh's daughter. But the Bible never said God noticed him. Moses had killed an Egyptian and hid him in the sand and, fleed into, and fled into many of but the Bible never says God noticed him. But as soon as the Bible says that uh, uh, Moses notices God, that Moses turns away from his regular, God notices Moses. And maybe the reason God doesn't notice us is because we're so busy doing our thing that God is saying, hey, here I am, hey, hey. And we just walk on by like God is the ugly girl who always ignore. Oh, y'all don't, don't know that girl. Y'all don't, don't. Oh, don't front with me. Don't get all churchy now. Glory to God. I'm in here now. Yeah, y'all can, can talk nice next week. I'm going to be real with y'all. Everybody knows that girl. You say, well, ugly isn't an eye to behold her. I know. I was ugly to like one person. <laughs> Who got ignored. And maybe, maybe that was your person, whoever that person. You just, oh, oh, God, here they come again. Let me pretend like they're not there. And God had to set a bush on fire. But, but when Moses, Moses turned, the Bible says, the Lord noticed. That's when God calls Moses by name. It is interesting that as Moses kept his regular code, of course, nothing was happening. But when God moved in an attention-getting manner, interrupted his real thing, and when Moses turns, God calls his name. That's when God speaks. Can I give y'all a secret? This wasn't a special bush. It was just a bush. But it made it special is that God decided I'm going to do something special with it. Oh, that's a word for somebody. Because I just think there's a whole lot of, whole lot of plain bushes sitting in here right now thinking, you know, I got to do something. I, I think you just need to be in position for when God is ready to do something with you. And then when God sets you on fire, don't worry, it's going to repel some folks. It's all right because that's what fire does. But for some folks, it, they're going to be like moths to the flame because they're going to see the glory of God in your life. They're going to see God doing some stuff with you that they never, and they're going to be tripped out because they're going to see you burning up but not burnt. Oh, that was a word for somebody. <laughs> they're going to see you and you're going to be doing what you do. And they're like, wait a minute, I just passed by them yesterday. I just passed by them. What's different when they're on fire now? Can I give you another secret? The bush didn't set itself on fire. Oh, just a word for somebody because some of us think it's, we've got to do, if I do more, say more, if I study more, and I'm a studier and I believe in doing, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's the, it's the interest of God into your life on God's terms that sets us on fire. What we have to be is faithful and available, and then God will do what he does. That's when God speaks. Perhaps it suggests that God only speaks to us when we're willing to give him our attention and turn aside from our agendas to see what his agenda is. Perhaps this suggests that God isn't as concerned with bothering us or being bothered by us when it comes to his purpose and our real calling in life. 
Perhaps this suggests that all that seek the kingdom first, kingdom of God first stuff, wasn't just Jesus running his mouth. Maybe it's like for real, for real, that's what God wants us to do. You know, like for real. <laughs> Have you ever read Matthew 6? You know, a lot of us love to read the last part of Matthew 6. Well, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Because that's the part we want to hear. Because I'm broken, I need some money, so I want all these things to be. <laughs> you come on, y'all know that's the truth. Well, if you read before that, Jesus is telling us, stop acting like heathens. Well, heathens in which way? Well, see, heathens believe in a God that is an absentee father. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> they believe in a God that, that won't supply their regular stuff. So they're around there worrying about clothing. And he says, yo, if I clothe the lily, won't I clothe you? They worry about food. He said, uh, why are you worrying about food? Don't you know I take care of sparrows? Won't I take care of you? Aren't you of much more value? See, this relationship with God, yeah, I, I believe in, we'll, hopefully we'll get to it in a little bit. I, I believe in what I call the organizational part of religion. I'm one of those guys. I believe that organized religion is important. I just don't believe it's primary. I believe we need structures in our life. And I, and I believe God has shown us you need some kind of structures. In your, I believe in that. But I don't believe that's primary. If you want to know Jesus, you've got to get to know him in a relationship. And you have to understand the parameters of the relationship. Now, I know we, 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 <laughs> we in a new age, <laughs> but, but my son to this day does not call me by my first name. <laughs> you see, well, my dad, my, my son calls me Dan. Well, Dan, good for you. But my son calls me dad. Because I think my son needs to always know, even though we're close and tight friends, I'm dad. That when he needs me, dad will run over mountains, swim oceans. I ain't one of his boys. I am sovereignly given the responsibility of taking care of him. And I will do whatever it takes within the context of our relationship. So if he's hungry, he knows dad will always feed him. He didn't even have to ask, come over, dad, I'm hungry, something in the refrigerator to go eat. When you start looking at God like, Oh, God, God's going to let me starve. Okay, this is Father's Day. Fathers, how many of you would that break your heart? If your child thought, well, I got an F, so now I don't get to eat. See the relationship, how the relationship presupposes now? Well, you, you say, well, well, what about the F? Well, absolutely. We need to put some structures on that thing. We need to fix where you're making these Fs, so we need to put some structures on it. That's more organized religion. Okay, we need to fix some of the places where you're getting these Fs at. But whether or not you're able to fit in these structures or not, it's not going to change the primary, which is the relationship. So if these structures aren't working for you and you, you're never able to, to accomplish within these structures, it makes you no less my son. And that's kind of what's going on here. God is elevating. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. This seek ye first stuff? The reason you seek me first is not because of the structures. You seek me first because you know I'm dead. And I'm serious about it. I want to be first. No, not, not first when you finish your other first. 
I want to be first. So he called his name. Moses. Moses. He called his name twice. And this part of the text, I don't know whether that is good or bad. Because when I was growing up, uh, if, if my dad called my name twice, it was a problem. <laughs> I know I'm old school. But if my dad said, fate, by, by the time he said, he's making me say, yes, dad. He didn't expect to go, fate. Fate. No, 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 one time. So I don't know if, if God is like, Moses, dude, Moses. Or if he's saying, Moses, Moses. I don't know. The text doesn't say. I just know God called his name twice. And if you read scripture, you know, God really is not in the habit of telling folks things twice. So he says, Moses, Moses. walking around here all day. You didn't notice me. But I know you. Matter of fact, I know your name. Moses. But even though God tells Moses who is, then God introduces himself through revelation. He says, Moses, now, I need to tell you something about me. You say, well, what are you doing? Why are you looking at your phone? Well, because my Bible's on here. And uh, I mean, I feel ungodly doing it too. <laughs> I need a real Bible up here, I know, but just hang with me on this. The Bible says, in verse number five, then he said, here I am. He called his name Moses and said, here I am. And once Moses responds, God introduces himself. He says, now watch, watch, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Watch it. Watch it. He says, uh, yeah, we, we cool, but we're not that kind of cool. But that's, <laughs> that's for real what it is. Yeah, okay, I called your name. You acknowledged it. Now you stay right there. Because I, even though I want this relationship with you, you always need to remember I'm still God. I'm still God. And because I'm God, where you are standing is holy ground. God very clearly tells Moses this thing is, what this thing is going to be. There's a separation between us and God. He says, I am holy. You are not. So don't come near. This ground was holy because it is intrinsically holy, not because of its intrinsic nature, but because it's intrinsically holy because God is there. Kind of tells me if I want a holy home, I need to have God in my home. If I want to have a holy life, I need to have God in my life. If I want to have a holy marriage, I need to keep God in it. If I want to have a holy dating, I need to have God in it. If I want holiness on my job, I need to have God in it. Because where God is, is holy ground. Everything in proximity to God has some level of holiness and sanctity. 
This suggests that people in their regular state cannot come near God. They can't draw near. That's that holy, whole Jesus thing. That, that's the reason Jesus had to come, to come to die, to make a pathway for us to come near. Because God in relationship wants us close. But God understands the reality of reconciliation is that you can't come close until I get us right. And so God sends Jesus in the form of the Bible says sinful flesh to redeem or, or to pay the price for those of us who need God. That's how, God, how much God wants us relationship. When I talk about being a worshiper, what I'm saying is that this whole thing is about worship. God wanting us to be close to him. This whole thing is about it. That whole sacrificial thing was all about coming close to God. That whole Jesus going to the cross was about, all, this church thing is all about coming close to God. Because we were far away and God wanted us close. And he was willing to do anything to bring us close, even sacrifice his son. So he says, take off your sandals because you need to revere me. And since I'm kind of old school, you know, I go back to the old church. And we probably put too much on it. But we should never get to the point where being around God means nothing. Where we never have sandal off your feet moments. Where God is as common as the homies. What up, God? What up? It, 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 it was, he's still God. He wants us close, but on God terms. He doesn't want us close like we, he's a commoner. Now, those who know me, and I don't mind saying I say that word, I'm not the biggest Trump fan. But I tell you what, if the President of the United States walks into this room, I'm not going to walk up on him and give him dap. I'm not going to say, high five, prayers. No, he's still a president. It's irrelevant how I feel about him. He's the president. I need to treat him in a, in a certain way. And I think there's, there's comes a time when, when God says, listen, there's some holy ground times. There's some take the sandals off your feet time. You're close to me. Draw near. Draw near. God instructs Moses to remove his sandals from his feet. This gesture is an ancient practice of reverence and relationship. Reverence. Reverence because God is holy. And feet were nasty. And sandals were nasty-er. I'm just telling you. And so, so you take off your shoes because you're taking off a sign of, of uncleanness from being in presence. But in ancient Near Eastern culture, also today, even among Muslims, the idea of taking off your, your shoes when you come in is a, is a sign of relationship. And so this is the idea of, of reverence and relationship. You, you're welcome in my house. God's saying, you're welcome here. Take off your shoes. So, so you see that there's, there's these, these, this double meaning here, this, this, this take off your shoes um, because you need to revere me, and this take off your shoes because we, we are in this relationship. Come on close by. Come on, take off your shoes. Have a sit down a little bit. We are good friends, but also take off your shoes because you don't want to bring any unholiness into the presence of a holy God. So take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Come on close to me because I love you. Come on close to me because we're good friends. Yes, yeah, sit down. Have some sweet tea because it's going to be all right up in here. We're going to be cool, but don't get it twisted. I'm still God, so amen. Don't bring your mess up in here. <laughs> you know, yeah, but come on, don't, don't bring crazy up in here with you. Take off your shoes. 
See, it's got to be a relationship and reverence. It can't, it can't just be, be reverence. We, we can't just walk around, you know, uh, uh, oh, God, you are my God. You, you, it can't be like that all the time. Amen. Amen. But it, all can, it also can't be, you know, <laughs> this is, I know this is my sin, but I just want to bring it in here because we cool. No, we ain't cool like that. No, no, there's still repentance. There's still take off your shoes. Now, just a little bit before we come, come quickly to an end. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about requirements because God gives them requirements. He says, you take them off because you're standing on holy ground. See, holiness, though, moves us from requirements to revelation to response. See, God gives you the requirements, right? He says, I'm going to give you these requirements. But if you remember the story, after the requirements, God reveals himself to him. But now, after God reveals himself, there's always an expectation of response. Let me in on, let, let you in on this little secret. God never says, this is who I am, this is what I need you to do, and doesn't expect you to do anything with it. Now, because I'm from a churchy culture, I believe that when you come into a service like this, that is designed for the very purpose of having an encounter with God, and you hear a word from God, that you should never come in contact with the revelation of God and it not move you to some type of action. That you shouldn't be able to hear Tim um, preach from week to week or, 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 or bi-monthly or how often uh, he preaches, and, and, and it doesn't move you. That the church is like this checklist, you know, well, well I've done the church thing. Click. Okay, let me do golf. Click. Okay, let me, it should not be that. This should be a time when, okay, I'm going to see God. I'm going to hear his word. And the revelation of God is going to require a response from me. That when I hear it, the Holy Spirit is going to move. And he's going to use what Paul says is the sword of the spirit. And he's going to activate something in me. And, and I can't walk in rebellion and, and act like nothing happened. Like I just, no, no, God, because right now some of you, the Spirit is talking to some of you right now. Right now. He's moving you right now. Some of you, God, you, you know you have been far away. He's drawing you closer. Or you have not held God in high regard. And, he, and you think, you know, I really need to change that. But there's this thing called catharsis. In catharsis, you, you feel good because you felt bad. <laughs> let, me, let me explain. It's like what happened, well, like back in the day, you, you would turn on the TV late at night, and you click on it, and you see this poor Ethiopian, this child, and you feel really bad for him. But you never said, now dime to Africa. Well, you say, why didn't you? Because of catharsis. You felt like, I'm a good person because I felt bad. Let's go play golf. That's what happens in church. We come, we hear a word. Wow, God really convicted me. That must be all right. Let's go golf. That's kind of what we do. What I'm telling you is here is that's what, wasn't, uh, what God would accept from Moses. God moved him from, from this idea of, of me uh, 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 revealing myself to you, to, to, to giving you some requirements and expecting a response. So there's moral purity. 
You know what moral purity is. First Thessalonians 4, 7. God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy lives. Yeah. Yeah, I know some of y'all are bummed out right now. See, again, remember the first thing I said, really don't care? Because if, if I don't tell you, you know, yes, it's, it's not cool to be impure. You can't walk in holiness and impurity. That's that moral purity. But that's not the only kind of, of, of purity. There's ritual purity. That's separating yourself from anything which defiles or which is associated with death. Um, Jesus said what goes into a person's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. That idea of holiness. One cannot be, one can be holy and yet not holy, meaning you can be ritualistically holy, but not uh, uh, morally pure. You can, you can keep all of the, 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 the letters of the law and all of the statutes and judgments. You can do all that good stuff and you can feel like you're good because, you know, I, I'm, I, you know I'm, and, and never be really pure. You can be what, what Jesus called them. They are uh, whited out sepulchers where, where they've been whitewashed on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. But God doesn't want us just, and, and I'm going to tell you, if, if I got to pick, if you got to struggle with the ritual stuff, I'd much rather somebody struggle with the ritual stuff than the moral stuff. If you can't get the church thing all right, you know what? None of us get it right anyway. We just get a better friend than you. We know all the church jargon. Oh, thank you, God. He's holy. We know all the churchy stuff, but we don't really know him. Let's get the morality right. But of course, what we want mostly was what's called imputed purity or imputed holiness. That's the holiness God gives us regardless of your morality or of your rituals. That God says, I'm going to give this to you because I need you to work. And that's all you need to do is, is, is just be submissive to what he does. That's Isaiah 6, Romans 4, 6 through 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. It is very interesting that God tells Moses the requirements before he reveals himself. I always thought that was pretty, that's pretty interesting. And God says, okay, take off your shoes. <laughs> Don't come close. And Moses doesn't even know who it is. Remember, Moses is just walking along and says, burning bush. He doesn't know who it is. Then God says, I believe that's because sometimes God wants us to move because he says move, not because he's answered all our questions. Sometimes God says, listen, you don't know everything about me. Just do what I say. And then I'll reveal more to you. Finally, God inspires reverence. God is an inspiring God. Because you can't see God and live, the Bible says that, that Moses covered his face when he found that it was God. When we have a true encounter with God, we lose our pridefulness and we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And we have a moment of reverence. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming Fire. God inspires reverence. When we come into, and when we really know it's him, all of a sudden we, we, we can see ourselves. Because the purity of God, the light of God, shows us all our own cracks. So I can stand before you, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to put on my little tie, you know, put on my little suit, you know. <laughs> That's all hiding stuff. That's all hiding stuff. See, the suit helps you not see how big my belly is. 
So, yeah, amen. So I put on a suit. They give me a little, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of kind of like a reverse, like a reverse eight cut on the suit. So it's a little top, it's a little wide at the top. A little, so kind of slimming. I'm like, yeah, this, this is working for me. Yeah, yeah. All of that stuff. All of that stuff well, is hiding. But when you come into the presence of God, all of the external structures we have put up, they go away. And we say, I'm going to hide my face. I'm not going to hide the Egyptian in the sand. I'm going to hide myself because I'm ashamed in the sight of God. Because everything I am is, is made naked before him. And so I revere him. And sometimes that will happen to you in worship. Sometimes you're here and the worship team is up and they're leading you in worship. And you feel just exposed. All of a sudden, everybody else in the room disappears, and you stand there before God naked and, and exposed before God. Now, don't make this weird now. Come on, just stay with me on it. And you're exposed before God, and, and you know that God sees, and all of a sudden, your tears are just streaming down your face. But that's the moment. That's the moment when you're really worshiping. That's the moment when you're such in awe of his worth. That he is so amazing. You're in the presence of something that's so other, so sanctified, so holy, so great, so wonderful, so magnificent. That all the stuff you thought you were about is turned into nothing because I am in the presence of God. Go do something for me. I can't do it, God. I'm not worthy. God says, well, now you are ready because you realize you're not worthy. And I only use vessels that aren't worthy. I don't ever use the ones that think they're worthy because they're lying to themselves. But when you come to the point where you know, and you know that you know that God is in the place, then you walk. And that's when you can praise him. See, worship is the idea of, of God, you're so worthy. Praise is the idea of celebrating his story. And isn't it amazing when you know yourself? And God has done something great in your life, and suddenly it trips you out. <laughs> You're like, wow, God did that? Wow. Now you're ready to come to church and praise him. But not only at church, sometimes you'll be in your little cubicle at job, freaking folks out. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. You go work like, and you gotta like, <laughs> finally, God not only inspires, God not only interrupts, God not only introduces himself, and finally, God has some insurance. He ensures. He is the great I am. Now, we got to kind of drop down to verses 13 and 14 um, to kind of see this as we kind of close up. Then Moses said to God, now, now there had been a whole lot of stuff between 5 and 13. We're not going to get into it. I, I promise to get you all before 1130 tonight, and I, and I will. Um, <laughs> then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You see how God doubles down on himself? 
Who shall I am that I am? And when they ask me, tell them I am. God is betting on God. God says, I'm going to, who's I am. What's your name? I am. And I know Moses at this time was like, dude, that is not a name. <laughs> but I bet Moses didn't say it because he learned. <laughs> yeah, if he can burn a bush, and then, oh, 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 uh, he can say whatever he wants to. I am that I am. God is the hero. I am. God is the hero of the story. Period. Not David. Not Abraham. Not Paul. Not Moses. Not Deborah. Not Mary. Not you. Not me. God. God is the hero of the story. It's God making it happen. It's God making a way. It's God fighting the battle. It's God strengthening your faith. It's God providing a lamb in the bush. God. Woo! It's God. It's God. It's God. It's God. If, some, if you're in the church building today, why don't you shout with me? It's God. Moses showed up at the burning bush, and God showed out at the Red Sea. Sarah showed up with a dry womb and a hundred-year-old man. And God showed out before Viagra and gave them vitality and a son. David showed up with a slingshot and five smooth stones. And God showed out by using only one. I'm telling you today, if you will just show up, I am that I am, will show out. Paul showed up a gangster killing saints, and God showed out and made him a gangster killing sin. Blind Bartimaeus uh, showed up, and Jesus healed his eyes. The centurion showed up, and his daughter was healed. The woman with a bloody issue showed up, and after 12 long years, God dried up her flow. If you will just show up, God will show out. The great I am is more than enough to make your I ain'ts go away. You may say, I am not worthy. God says, I am. You may say, I am not able. God says, I am. You may say, I am not enough. God says, I am. God says, I am. 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 He is the great I am. You may be filled with a whole lot of I can't and, and I haven't and, and I'm just doing my thing. I'm going to tell you today, the God that I know will interrupt your thing. Change about your thing. Show up in a way that shocks you. Call you to his face. And when you say, I am not worthy, God will say, I am. Because yeah. yeah. he is the great I am. He says, I heal. Because it's what I do. I save. Because it's what I do. I love. It's just what I do. You don't have to worry about me doing my part. I just need you to show up. Show up at the place. My final thing I'm going to give you before I take my seat. This is how you show up. Live your regular life. God burns the bush. Don't play like it's not burning. Stop. Turn. And when you turn toward God, God will turn towards you. May God bless you and may he bless you real good. <laughs>